behind the shades. How's your week been so far? Uh, my week has been pretty crazy. It's been pretty busy right now. Uh, we got a lot going on, a bunch of different cases, custody cases, divorce cases. Um, had a big lesson yesterday in court. I got my head handed to me by a judge. Um, okay. Not really my, but my clients, because my client, you know, vented his anger on social media. Mm, big no-no. That's no. a really bad thing for people to be doing. Yep. You know, they, they need to not be using the social media as the platform to air all their dirty laundry. That's what therapists are for. You know, people should I agree. And with social media, we have access to it. It's always in our hands or in our back pocket or purse. So it's like having your therapist on speed dial without the filter. You can say whatever it is you want. You can't take it back, right? Right. Exactly. And the problem is that, you know, that we've all heard this. You know, you have the right to remain silent. Anything you say can and will be used against you in court of law. And the minute you put it on social media, it will be. And I, you know, I, I did a post yesterday. I'm like, uh, uh, you have the right to remain silent. Use it. <laughs> just shut up. Stop saying things because they're just going to come back to haunt you. Yeah. It's hard for us to close our mouth and just open our ears, right? Yeah, absolutely. Very much so. Particularly you know, when you're in the middle of a custody battle or a divorce case where there's just so much going on with the emotions and there's so much at risk. You know, people are afraid they're going to never see their kids again because that's what they're told. Yeah. Moms are telling dads, you're never going to see your kid again unless you give me more child support. Okay. Well, that's probably not going to actually be the reality. It, mm -hmm. it, it, it is for a couple people, but the vast bulk of them, that's not the reality. Absolutely. And you know what? I look forward to diving into that for with you because that's such a topic that I feel is very important to men because some of us go into these situations without any knowledge and you've probably seen this so often. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, the, the, I think the biggest problem men have is that they don't know what they don't know. <laughs> they think they know, they think they know the way the world works, the way the courts are going to treat them and that it's all going to be fair and just. And if they just go into court and say, I'm a great dad, they're going to get 50% custody. Uh, no, <laughs> that's not going to happen. That's just not the way it works. You know, there, there's a lot of factors that go into figuring out what is going to happen with custody and visitation and child support. And it's really important for dads to learn what are those factors and how do you express to a judge what you want, why you want it, and how that is actually good for the child. Just marching into court and going, I'm a great dad. What does that mean, dude? Like, I have yeah. no idea what that means. It would probably I, I, have to explain I have it a little no bit idea better. What that means. It means nothing. I, I, I'm a great dad. Okay, does that mean that like you're a really great provider and you make a lot of money? That doesn't actually make you a great dad. Are you really affirming and loving and supportive and nurturing? That makes you a great dad. That's what judges want to hear about. And do not ever go on rants about child support. It's just a mistake. <laughs> Happened to me yesterday in court. Client goes off on a tangent. He's ranting and raving about child support. And I'm like, dude, shut, shut, shut up, shut, shut up. Because you're just digging a hole. Because all a judge hears is 
he's resentful that he has to support that child. And that is going to be where used against you. You just, you can't argue over the money. It's just a bad, bad idea. So let's officially get started. And I want to welcome okay. everyone to another episode of Behind the Shades. I have, I want to say my new best friend, <laughs> David here, who's going to enlighten not only me, but I hope he enlightens everyone out there to be better prepared when it comes to fathers dealing with custody, their children, and the arena of the family court. So David, tell us a little bit about yourself and more importantly, tell us who you are. Sure. I'm Dave Pizarro from the mensfamilylawcenter.com. And I've been practicing family law for 20, 21 years now. The last um, 18 of which I primarily focused on fathers and fathers' rights and men's rights going into court because men don't actually have a very good working knowledge of what they're faced with um, going into court. They, they think pretty much like uh, either I showed up at the wedding and I said I do and I'm done, which is not the way that works, or I got her pregnant and now I'm a dad, so I want 50% custody and that's not how that works. And so I'm kind of on a mission to help dads understand what they need to do when they want to protect their parenting time and be there for their children. Perfect. So David, what made you want to assist men in this way? Well, there's two factors. The first one was when I, I had been practicing about five years and we had a lot of clients. I mean, we had a very heavy calendar and I was getting kind of burned out. And I looked at it and I said, okay, what's going on here? Where's my heart? And I looked at it and I said, you know, the, the women have a lot of people who want to represent women because it's a big money center for, for a divorce lawyer. Um, because a woman will come into my office and she will spend two, three, four hours talking to me. She'll call me three times a day for six months, all of which are billable. Um, and then at the end of it, she's going to get a bill and I'm going to say, where's my money? And she's going to say, well, you got to go get it from him. I don't have any money. I'm like, okay, that's not a really good business model. <laughs> so I'm chasing my dollars from him. And I looked at it and I said, okay, well, what is it about men that I like or don't like? And a man comes into my office and he's like, you know, the relationship's over. I want out. What's it going to cost me? How long is it going to take me? Here's your check. Call me when you need me. I'm like, wow, that's a lot better business model. Like, just give me money. Um, and then I started looking at like, what do the guys that I represent know and don't know going into court? And they have a lot of misperceptions of what they're faced with. And so I had this opportunity to A, have an easier business model and B, really be of service to the men in the world and educate them on what they're facing because they don't know. You know, they, they have an understanding from television. They have an understanding from what they hear from their best friend's cousin who went through a case, you know, in Pennsylvania but we're in California and totally different facts and a completely different scenario. And he thinks he should get the same result. It's like, no, it doesn't work that way. You know, every case is different. Everything has its own little twist. You can have two almost identical fact patterns of man, woman, two children, been together 10 years. And one thing changes and it's a whole different ballgame. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to educate men is because they need to know 
before they go into court and make stupid mistakes, what they're really facing. Is it a case, David, of, and you mentioned, and you articulated that so well, I'm looking at it through my lens and because I enjoy looking up the stats and the information and things like that, I would guess um, I'm probably better equipped because I'm willing to receive the information that you would give me to help me be better and going forward if I was in that situation. But from your experience, David, which one is, I guess, more detrimental to the fathers in this situation? Is it just purely ignorance or is it the information that, as you mentioned, they heard it from John, who is connected by me by five different people? Or, or is it a combination of both? It's a combination of both um, because they think that they heard the story about John in Pennsylvania, that that's what's going to be in their case. And so they think that they've done their research. And that's just not true. They're not actually calling a lawyer, consulting with the lawyer to get an opinion beforehand um, to figure out how to position themselves for success, to figure out what are they really facing and what are the likely scenarios that a judge is going to grant custody. You know, men tend to be very much like, what's the problem? What's the solution? How do I get there? And okay, problem. I want to see my kids more. Solution. Talk to Marty. He wrote, took me over to his buddy, Tony, whose cousin Marty had Mark, who understood that John had this happen to him. So therefore, I'm going to get the same thing. And it's like, no, you, you can't do that. You have to like dig in and do your research and recognize like your fact pattern versus that fact pattern. The situation I get a lot of is guys coming in and they're like, I want my 50% custody. I want my kids every other week. I'm like, okay, let's talk about how that's going to work. You live in Long Beach, California on the coast. She lives in Riverside, California, two and a half hours away in the desert. Where did your kid go to school? Well, in Riverside. Okay. So if the kid is with you for a week, are you telling me that you're planning on commuting two and a half hours every morning to drop that child off at school, go back to Long Beach to your job, go back to Riverside to pick the kid up after school and then come home? At a minimum, you're looking at 10 hours a day on the road. When are you supposed to do any work? And then they're like, oh, I, I, I hadn't thought of that. Like, yeah. That's why you need to actually think this stuff through. Like, if you want 50% custody? Great. I totally back you in that. Let's set up a strategy. Let's take a look at what's really going on in the kid's life and then change your life to make that a viable possibility. So if the kid's living and going to school in Riverside, guess where you're going to be living? You're moving, dude. You're moving out to Riverside. Ask for a transfer. Set your you life find up them, way that you can be successful. Do you find meant in general to be flexible in that regard where if they want to have the 50% or even sole custody, they're willing to either transfer, relocate, or live out there in the example you gave in Riverside versus in Long Beach? The successful ones will um, are willing to upend their life and do what's best for their children. Most men have too many other responsibilities and they have to make choices. By the time they've got a former girlfriend and a kid in Riverside, they probably also picked up a new girlfriend in Long Beach. Are they willing to let that relationship go? Oh, 
you have two kids with her and they're in school there, well, you're kind of stuck now because you have to you have to be a parent to those kids. And the reality is like you've already on some level made the choice that you're living in Long Beach over Riverside. And so you have to make those decisions at some point. And a lot of times those decisions are already made for you and you didn't even realize you were making them. What about the men who may look at the situation and just feel, what's the point? Um, she's going to get custody. I'm going to have to pay this ridiculous amount of money. What about the men who come to you and they're already defeated in a way? How do you get them to the point to be successful through your game plan, through your coaching and your direction? A lot of times guys come to me and they're extremely depressed. They're, they're really, they're, they feel like they're already behind the eight ball. It's pointless. There's no way they could ever do anything to like change the situation. And what I tell them is we have to develop a long-term strategy. This is chess. We are thinking three and four and five and 10 steps down the road. We cannot think just like, I'm going to react to this one thing and then react to that one thing. Because if all you're doing is reacting to one thing, there, the other side's always going to be in charge. You have to look at it and be like, okay, so I'm in Long Beach. She's in Riverside. The kid's four right now. He's going to be going to school. He's in preschool. We're going to put him in kindergarten out there. I want to be able to have more time with him. That means I need to change careers, change my house, change where I'm living, position myself so that I have flexibility. And, oh, that probably means that I need to get a promotion and a transfer in my company so how do I make that happen? I need to put that stuff in motion. Oh, I need to prepare to change my life radically. That's not something I'm going to do in 30, 60, 90 days. It's going to be a six month, 12 month, 18 month process. And we play the long game. I wonder with things going the way they are now, and you, you may be aware of this, there seems to be this struggle between men and women, like there's this growing gulf of disconnect where you have subgroups of women who feel all men are nothing. And then you have this subgroup of men who feel all women is or nothing. And there seems to be this growing, but very loud minority on, on both genders going at each other and attacking each other. When it comes to the preparation to kind of separate yourself from that, and for me, I'll use me as an example. If I were to come to you and I want to have custody of my children, what is the preparation for me to do before I come to you, before we have that sit down and say, okay, eventually I want to have my kids with me as much as possible. What can I do, David, to prepare myself before you and I have that first or maybe even second meeting? A lot of times I need them to start looking at what's their schedule what's the kids schedule what's mom's schedule like create that calendar of how are their how are lives actually being lived right now and then we can start moving pieces around and figure out what we're going to do from a strategy perspective now, once you meet with me you're going to leave with a bunch of direction of courses you need to take things you need to do uh, to position yourself and that's the goal is to really position yourself six months, 12 months down the road, 18 months down the road to make the request that you want. And I think working from home, since so many of us are doing today, would definitely help with that, especially if there's a distance of the two and a half hours. 
huge. It's a huge benefit. Um, you know, a lot of the studies right now are showing that moms have actually cut back on work because they're stuck at home and they're doing more of the schooling. Dads aren't really picking up the slack. I think that over the next 12 months, 18 months, two years, that will probably balance out as moms go back to work, as dads have repositioned their careers so they can be more work from home, stay at home type dads and change their schedule in such a way that they have the flexibility to be there for the kids. You know, I have a lot of men who really would love to be the stay at home dad. They don't feel they can be. They don't feel that their spouse allows them the opportunity, that the spouse isn't willing to take the cut and pay, that the spouse isn't willing to change their roles. Because many times, many women are like, I want a man to support me. That's his job. My job is to take care of the kids. His job is to support me. And I'm not changing. Okay. Well, then what you're really saying is that your needs are more important than what's best for the family, because what's best for the family may be for you to go back to work because women are in increasingly an influence in the workforce. Maybe your career as a woman, you could make more money and dad could stay at home. But a lot of times the dynamics, the ego won't allow that to happen. Does that come up often? Um, and the reason why I ask that, David, is you do have people that are, I guess, more traditional roles. The woman is in the household, the man is out there providing for the household and the mother and the wife will take care of it. But I would guess, because the mainstream and to our point earlier, we have all these influences outside of our own mind and outside of the conversation you and I will have today is that the woman always get their way, even though the man is always providing. So if we were to take that and put that to the side, how difficult of a conversation is it to for the woman, for the fathers to deal with for them to go to their partners and say, hey, how about you get a part time job or go back working full time? So not only can you have time with the children, I can have time with the, with the children as well. It is probably one of the top three difficult conversations. First, of course, being what I want sexually from you. Nobody likes having that conversation. It's just not comfortable. Surprised people have it. Most of them don't, to be honest, which is why I will never starve because that will lead to other problems in the relationship. And eventually, someone is going to be like, I'm out of here. Um, that's a huge issue because it's a huge communication issue. Um, if I can't talk to you about sex, that's just the first difficult conversation that I'm avoiding. And then once I've avoided that one, everything afterwards is easy to avoid. Um, and the next one being money. Money is a huge thing that we can't discuss because we all have weird issues around money um, and what it says about me as a person. Because in our culture, what you earn is what you're worth. I think that's a bunch of BS, personally. Um, I think that a person's worth is far more than, than just what their paycheck is. Uh, but then the third one would be, let's talk about how we are operating as a family. Does it actually make sense for the kids, for me, for you, for all of our happiness, the way that we're running things right now? And, and those are probably the top three difficult conversations for people to have. And once, once I don't talk to you about sex, it's that much easier for me not to talk to you about money because, well, I'm, just, I'm not getting my needs met, so why am I going to talk to you about that? 
And then it's like, okay, well, I'm just stuck because I can't talk to you about anything. I think, and those are three, the first two, I can definitely see the third one. I'm a little surprised, but then when you broke it down, I can understand it because it's a family structure at the end of the day. The first two, I can see why they're sensitive topics or two of the top three, because it could be abused in a certain way. Like maybe a woman may feel objectified in regards to the sex. That's why the conversation may be awkward. And maybe some men could feel abused about the money situation because they may feel that this is all that I, I am to your point. It's about worth because there's still a lot of people out there that feel that a woman's value is based off of her appearance and her sexual attractiveness where a man's desires based off of his resources, how we could provide. Um, how do you feel that we can tackle that to your point? Because this is two of the top three pain points when it comes to relationships. Um, getting people to be more comfortable having uncomfortable conversations is extremely difficult. Uh, we have several reasons for that. You know, abuse is, is certainly one, but I think the bigger one is vulnerability. You know, if you've ever watched uh, Brene Brown's TED Talk, you know, she's got two just fabulous TED Talks. It's Brene Brown on shame and vulnerability. And when it comes to sex, sex equals shame for a vast bulk of us. We all generally have some issue around sex. And frequently that leads to a shame issue of, I can't believe I lust this thing. I can't believe I want that thing. I don't want to express to you that I really like it when you do this, but I don't like it when you do that. And, and so because my desires are shameful, I shut down. And particularly as men, we shut down because we're just like design, like go in, get the job done and move on. And there's no sense of sex as communication. There's no sex, a sense of sex as relating to each other. It, it's very, um, I, I say it's performative. You know, it's the performance that matters. And it's, and, and I personally don't believe that. I guess performance matters, don't get me wrong, but that's probably not actually its primary benefit in a relationship. Its primary benefit in a relationship is how are my partner and I relating to each other? What are we actually communicating? Because when that falls apart, everything else is going to fall apart. And the reason why that's falling apart is because I feel shame or you feel shame or we feel shame. And so we shut things off. And as soon as we're shutting things off, everything else is going to get shut off. So to get people to have a more honest conversation, we have to develop a level of trust and vulnerability with each other, which is very difficult for a lot of people. You know, I, I know couples that have been together 20 years and they're still keeping secrets from each other. Like, like big secrets. I don't mean little stuff, like big ones. Because I'm the guy, I'm, I'm the single gay lawyer in Los Angeles who like people are coming to and they tell me everything. I have more secrets on more people and I know exactly how twisted people are and all of it is like, eh, big deal. But the, what holds them back is their shame about it, their guilt. And that's what's killing their relationships. So it seems, and this is like an age-old story, that communication is and will always be the key. Absolutely. 
there, there, there's no question in my mind that that communication can make or break a relationship. Um, if you've ever been in a relationship and kept a secret from somebody, and it can be a simple one. It, it doesn't even have to be a bad one, like I'm cheating on you or I herpes. It can be something as simple as like, I'm planning your surprise birthday party in a month. That month of having to be hyper aware of what you say, how you say it, what phone conversations you're having, what is she going to overhear? What are they going to overhear? Did that text message get seen by them? That anxiety bleeds into everything. And that's what causes the problem because what am I doing? I'm, I'm keeping the phone from you. Okay, well, I'm keeping my phone from you because I'm trying to do something nice for you. But what's that going to do in you? Why is he keeping his phone from me all of a sudden? He didn't used to be like that. I wonder if he's cheating on me. I bet, I bet he's cheating on me. That's got to be it. So then now they get suspicious. So now they're doing their whole thing like, oh, if he's cheating on me, that means I'm not good enough in bed. I'm not strong enough. I'm not rich enough. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. And, and then they're running down their little rabbit hole of reasons why this relationship is horrible. And I don't want to talk to him about that because he just thinks I'm too fat and uh, it's over. And I can do better. And I'm going to tell my girlfriends and they're all going to be like, girl, you could do so much better than him. Meanwhile, all I was doing was planning your birthday party. Something so simple. <laughs> yes, but, but, but that's an example of how when you keep secrets, it will bleed into everything and it will destroy your relationship. And David, I guess as we, as we wrap here, any final last words for the next generation of men that you would like to instill in them to maybe help them be, do better when it comes to custody and plan their lives to ensure their children are the priority? Well, I'm going to do a little bit of like shameless self-promotion here because I do want dads to be in their kids' lives and I do want dads to learn how to communicate better. And, and part of learning to communicate is gathering the facts and putting them in a format that allows you to express yourself clearly. And so because dads have a really hard time doing that, going into court, they don't know what they're supposed to tell the judge. They don't know how to format it. I created the dad's action pack and it's a 90 minute course that's designed to like, just walk you right through. Like, here's what to expect in court. Here's how to show proof of your relationship with your kids. Here's how to draft your declaration to show the judge that you're a great dad. Here's what has to be in that declaration. Here's how you dress. Here's how you talk to the court. Here's how when you're talking to the court and your throat is tight and your mouth is dry, stop, breathe, pause, and then move forward. And I've got that course on the mensfamilylawcenter.com backslash action pack. It's all lowercase. It's $97 for your listeners. We're going to set up a promo code. They're going to get it for $70 if they're interested. Um, you know, we're just going to call it... Uh, shades and we're just going to have that as a promo coupon code that they can put in and so instead of 97 they'll get it for 70 and we're gonna try and help more dads understand how to be great dads but also to show the judge that they are great dads 